This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about a cool technology that is going to result in farmers having a lot less stress when it comes to monetizing their crops, and for consumers, possibly even having cheaper produce. So on the show today, I'm interviewing Pablo Borges from ProducePay. So ProducePay is a cool new marketplace, kind of, that really helps farmers profit easier and quicker as opposed to the traditional model. So in our interview today, Pablo and I are going to talk about how he started out, um, his background with actually going to Cornell, his family um, farmed in Mexico, and then how he got started with this, really all about kind of the lack of a digital infrastructure when it came to how crops are marketed, how they're sold, how they're sold to distribution companies, processors, stuff like that, and how sometimes your food can have like four to six middlemen, um, which of course results in that food being more expensive because, of course, it more people are involved, you've got to pay more, all of that good stuff. And we're also going to talk about kind of what trade fulfillment is when it comes to crops, um, funding structures, all of the hoops and hurdles that farmers have to go to to sell their crops because those prices are always fluctuating. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, especially now in the time of COVID where... Um, some markets were closing, restaurants were closing, prices are going up, prices are going down, distribution models are thrown out the, I don't know, thrown out the wazoo. And so hopefully technology like produce pay is really going to help farmers profit, not much more, but easier. It's going to take the guesswork out of it. It's going to help them be much more reliable when it comes to actually figuring out how they can make a good profit on their crop. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Check out the links below in the description of this episode for all things produce pay and, of course, for all things farm travel related. Check out thefarmtraveler.com for all of our stuff. 
I am slowly coming up with a better schedule for making content. Um, that includes articles on the website, some more YouTube videos, and all that good stuff. So if you're not already, go check out thefarmtraveler.com for all of that good stuff. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Pablo. Enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening. All right. Well, Pablo, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for having me. It's good. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. You've got a cool company, which I always love learning more and more about, you know, exciting new technologies in agriculture. But um, your company is called Produce Pay. And before we kind of talk about that, give us a little bit about your background and kind of the whole inspiration behind Produce Pay. Yeah. Um, my background is... Um it's, I think, a very traditional background as it pertains to, to farming. I come from a four-generation farming family from northwest Mexico, so I've been in the industry my entire life. Um, I, lo- I loved every second of it, um, but I've, I've always been intrigued, not just in the farming side, which is kind of where I grew up, but also in, I think, more in, in how, in the market dynamics that ultimately make the industry what it is. And what I mean by that is that a lot of the issues or ultimately a lot of the challenges or areas of opportunity uh, have always, I've always identified them to be more in, in both the distribution channels of produce and, and the resource allocation part uh, that ultimately leads to farming um, and, and, to, and to farms successfully delivering produce. So um, I think what that means in a bit more of context is that after I left the farm, um, I went on to work for a large uh, LA-based distribution company. Uh, I worked for them for a couple of years, and and um, and that was probably one of like the single most rewarding experience that I had. Uh, mm-hmm. Because what I did for them is that I actually I would spend half of the year working with uh, domestic uh, farmers, so U.S.-based farmers, and that was amazing. I got to spend time in Florida, Mississippi, Michigan, uh, Washington State, uh, Oregon, California, um, and then the other half of the year I got to spend in the in the uh, kind of import season. And what that means is that I would spend a lot of time in Latin America. So Mexico, Chile, Peru, Uruguay, Argentina. Um, so I got to see like the industry from different sides of the picture. Um, but then ultimately I came to see that the issues were very recurring regardless of wh- which country I went to, which I found to be extremely interesting, which then in turn led me to pursue uh, my MBA, which I went to Cornell uh, specifically because uh, they're known to have one of the best ag schools in America. Um, and it was at that point in time and during my time at Cornell that I started talking to the professors and the and the kind of the, the business and ag environment in the school, um, the USDA office that exists with, like within the school. And I started kind of bringing up these issues that I had just seen in all these countries. And they were the guys that settled to me like, hey, like, you know, if you feel so strongly about this, why don't you do something about it? And it's funny because to that date, I I, um, I never thought of, of myself that I could do it, but they were like, you know, if you feel that strong about it, like you should become an entrepreneur and you should do it. And they really kind of you know, made me, give me, they gave me the confidence to feel that I could. And, you know, and that, that eventually led me to found, to found Produce Pay, which would happen during my time at Cornell. Uh, and then as soon as I graduated, I, I brought it uh, here to LA where, um, where I'm happy to say that we've been rocking it uh, for the last seven years. That's awesome. And that's quite a background. Like I, I know, I'm sure that traveling around the world, you're just kind of seeing how farming was going on was, was super eye-opening. And so what were some, I don't know, some kind of commonalities you found throughout the world when you were traveling, just kind of see what was going on with the import market that, you know, like a, a, a traditional consumer might not realize, like what were some kind of commonalities that you found? Yeah. Um, there were a lot, but ultimately like 
for the sake of like really like sticking to I think to, to, to the biggest ones like there were really two of them um, and ultimately one which I, I find it shocking and a little bit sad to be perfectly honest is that the inefficiencies in the distribution of mm-hmm. this industry are massive like to give you a number like 52% of the produce that comes into the United States like actually never gets consumed um, and this has to do with two things um, one the perishability aspect of of the industry but more so the second, the fact that the distribution channels that are currently in place to move produce are so inefficient that the extra transit time um, that happens between these places leads to a lot of waste happening. It also leads to a lot of 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 uh, excess margin that ultimately mm. get, has to get added in order to compensate for this loss. And that margin never makes it back to the farmer. So it, it, really, it, it results in what we call... 60% economic waste that ultimately never gets to the farmer, uh, which obvi- obviously depresses the, 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 the price and the income that the farmer can get um, by ultimately having all this waste, right? And like, that's one of the biggest things that I learned, probably like the most important. And then the second thing that I learned is that the people that can farm these commodities and can ultimately grow the best produce are very rarely financially empowered to do so. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stories where we hear how farmers and financial institutions have like, you know, friction or conflicting stories. And I would say the biggest one has nothing to do um, with the terms of the financing. It has more to do with the fact that financing is just not available for the, for the people within the United States or internationally, I would say even more internationally that, um, that just, you know, could be doing the best things for the farms, right. And for the environment. Um, and it's kind of these things that we're trying to address in produce space. Like how do we get the right people to farm the right product and how do we make sure they can, they can sell it to the people that they need it to, to avoid all this waste that's happening along the way. Yeah, it's such a weird industry. I mean, there's so much going on. There's so many moving pieces, whether, you know, it's produce that's grown internationally and imported or stuff that we're growing here and exporting elsewhere. It's so weird. And so you kind of talked about a second ago that about 52% of produce in the U.S. that we bring in isn't consumed. And so do you think that maybe that's just kind of a result of our current practices and something that we can't really shy away from? something that's not going to change? Or do you think that's something we really, really should focus on um, reducing, you know, as the population is going to continue to increase? It's it's 100% something that we can mitigate. I mean, I think to assume that there will be zero waste is overly, overly optimistic. But honestly, I, I generally believe that we could get that waste to be within single digit percentages. So let me, let me share some additional facts. Um, and, and it'll make it very clear to us to how and, and why this can definitely be fixed. The average piece of produce that the, that the average American consumes is handled between four to six different middlemen before it gets to the retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's normally mar- marked up three to six times. So it is in these passing of hands that this happens. And the reason that it happens, which obviously is extremely ironic given that this is a perishable commodity, but it has to do with the fact that there is a lot of lack of digital infrastructure and technology that can connect the people that have this product with the people that ultimately need it. And if you could ultimately create the systems that could preempt who is going to want produce uh, with the people that who will grow the produce, you could actually have all of these contracts in place 
perfectly lined up in time, and then you could lower the amount of middlemen that this goes through. Uh, and while I don't think the answer is necessarily zero middlemen, I think, you, again, you could have one, maybe two middlemen tops. And if you could actually have this amount of kind of preempted supply and demand matching along with the proper logistics and supply channels to do that, then you could definitely eliminate that. So this waste really happens, honestly, and I know like it's shocking in this day and, in day and age, but it happens primarily given the lack of digital and technology infrastructure in the space. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, kind of the lack of the digital infrastructure there. We've interviewed a couple of people that are kind of trying to develop technology around that. And I think one of those companies um, was Appeal. And basically, they were trying to do where they're trying to build like a data bank where produce in the store, if it was getting closer to its expiration date, it would automatically pump out, um, I think, like discounts um, for consumers, you know, because something is going to go bad very quickly. So instead of wasting it, we're going to make it a little bit cheaper for consumers. That way, it's more likely to sell. And you don't really hear about a whole lot of stuff like that, whether it's just regular produce or um, processed goods or something like that. Like, it's very interesting that there's not kind of like you said, there's not a lot of digital technology right now that kind of helps reduce that. So it'll be interesting to see out of a means of necessity, really, what is going to pop up in the next five or 10 years. And I mean, even companies like you guys, like Produce Pay, that are trying to change even just how growers are doing stuff. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, like I know the guys that appeal well, like they're 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 great people. And 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 you're right, like they're attacking the same problem but a different side. Like what they're trying to do is they're trying to extend the amount of time that produce can last in the supply chain, which of course makes a lot of sense for the exact same reason that I mentioned, right? So we can we can lower that waste. We're trying to ultimately shorten the, the transit time that it takes for the product to be there, but we're attacking the same problem. But but um but you're very right. And 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 and, and let me let me mention um, a big insight that people in ag tech have learned um, like in the past five years. In um, at the dawn of ag tech, which was right around the time that uh, Produce Pay and, and a lot of the other like big tech um, startups were born, um, which was around like, I would say 13 to 15. Um, a lot of what the focus was for many companies was on increasing yield. And everybody was like, mm. oh, we need to grow more produce, we need to grow more produce. Um, a few of us were adamant that the issue was not in the amount of produce that was grow that was produced, but in ultimately the ability to get this amount of healthy calories to the right people within the timeline that allowed for the shelf life of the product to get there. So what a lot of the companies have focused on today is into creating the technology, like the technology infrastructure or like like blockchain or other types of information systems that can ultimately preempt where supply and demand is. Because if you can preempt those needs and that upcoming supply, then you can ultimately distribute it and if necessary, redistribute it in real time to the people that need it. And that is where the vast majority of the savings will come today. And like to give you another daunting number, when you really start adding these numbers up, if we could successfully bring down food waste in produce to single digits and redistribute the that produce to the people that needed it we could actually solve most of the world's hunger and like that's a very powerful statement because it, it gives you a great like and you can be an optimist or a negative right like uh, uh, or pessimist a pessimist would say we're wasting a lot of food like i can't believe the number's that large and that's true but an optimist would say it's an opportunity and the opportunity is let's create the technology systems now and let's do that because ultimately we could solve not just the issues now but as you very well say 
the 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 food issues that comes that, that come up and and will become more relevant uh, as the world demands more and more food. And to add even a more relevant event in recent times is a lot of people have noticed how strongly food prices have been affected to the detriment of the consumer with recent macroeconomic events like specifically the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And the moment that you start making food more expensive for people, then you really start pushing more people into becoming food insecure. So so like the like there's never been a more important time for us to solve this than now because we have seen how quickly kind of call it the, the, the balance of food distribution that exists today can be disrupted and how quickly that disruption can affect pricing and ultimately the people that are affected are, are consumers and to be perfectly honest the people that are affected are normally the, the consumers that, that are more price sensitive that that ultimately have to either go hungry or sometimes in lack of better alternatives they have to switch to less healthy alternatives which ultimately increases the health problems that we already have in this country man that's a lot to unpack uh, to unpack there and i mean even something that you said earlier um, the problem is it's, it's very opportunistic. Like we can really solve this, but the problem is it's not that we're not producing enough food to feed like, I don't know, 7 billion people. The problem is we're wasting a lot of it. Like a lot of it is going to waste during the whole food supply chain process and even just, you know, storing food at home. So if we can really solve all those problems, um, we can dramatically decrease the 52% that we're wasting. And I don't know, even, even if it goes down to like 20% or 15%, that it would, would be still massive. be a, Yeah, that'll be a huge amount of food that we're saving for people all around the world. It would be I massive. mean, you could greatly decrease the amount of starvation, famine, everything going on. So yeah, there's a lot going on there for sure. It would be, it would be a game changer. Like, like if you could literally redistribute again, even if you get down to 20%, again, like you could solve most of world hunger. Like, and, and that's... That's a very powerful statement, right? And that's also why we do what we do at Produce Bear, right? It's like, you know, it, it, it's um, I've always been very proud of what we do, and I think it's a very strong mission we can get behind because I think if we are successful, and and, and you know, there's still a lot of challenges to overcome, but I'm I'm glad to say we're doing good progress. But like, I feel very strongly about our cause, and I think people that work at Produce Bear feel very proud of of the ultimate outcome that we can not achieve by ourselves because not not one company can change the world, but if we can add our own grain of salt, we can do it, and. Honestly, to me personally, that's what really drives me, right? And and that's probably like where my fourth generation farming background really comes to play is that if if I can if I can do my own difference to the, and help the industry of my forefathers by helping it become digitized and, and and better transition to the 21st century, then then I would I would really feel that I've done my piece and I've made my ancestor proud, and that's kind of what drives me every day. That's awesome. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I feel like especially anybody that kind of comes from an agriculture background, like they want to carry on that family tradition, but they also want to do something a little bit different where it kind of, I don't know, you just are kind of bringing the the business into the new world, like into whatever technology or trends are happening. So that's awesome that you're able to kind of bring that and motivate yourself to kind of, you know, save this industry, really. Well, again, um, I think it's very presumptuous to say that I could save it alone. But again, like, I think it's about it's about it's about driving change and about being an agent for change. If it takes a, a, a current to make this change um, and um, and I can be one drop in that current that, that, that help, helps make that current of change happen, then 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 that would be a career well spent. And, and, and um, yeah, again, like we, we need the entire industry to move towards this 
obsession towards uh, distribution efficiency. And I believe that, that the intent is there. And again, we're just trying to do our part. We're just trying to make sure that we um, that, that we're pushing in the right direction. And, and if that helps other people push to the same direction, then then again, like we, we would see that as a win. Oh, 100%. So let's move on and talk a little bit more about produce pay. So what is the idea behind produce pay that you're trying to solve? And then how are you guys implementing it? What's that whole story there about produce pay? Yeah, so what we ultimately do at produce pay is we are, we're trying to create efficiency by creating the infrastructural background, um, the technology infrastructure that is required to do so. And I think a, a, a good a good comparable that I always like to use is um, is produce produce produces more sophisticated cousin, which is non-perishable mm. ag. And what I mean by that is like grains, like wheat, like soy, or other non-perishable perishable ag items like cotton. These commodities are very efficient, and they've been efficient honestly for the better part of a century now. Um, and what I've what we've learned from watching them is that in order to create efficient systems you need to have two things you need to have you need to have consumers and suppliers that can ultimately find each other but you also need to have a strong capital system that can ultimately allow the people that can grow produce more efficiently to do so so that ultimately we can always drive the consumer's well-being uh, and the farmers can ultimately benefit from that as well so what we do at first is we do exactly that we have two businesses that are ultimately both sides of that coin on one end we have we have the the financial piece, and what we do there is that we ultimately um, we allow the farmer to be able to monetize their crop by ultimately partnering with Produce Bay, and Produce Bay actually partners with the farmer, and we become a co-seller of that produce, where we ultimately allow the farmer, like we pre-purchase a big part of that farmer's crop in mm. order for them to submit that to the platform and ultimately move it to the final buyer. Uh, and by doing so, we allow them to monetize a huge amount of their crop, which in turn allows them to make smart decisions. For example, buy uh, inputs in better terms. Something that's become also very relevant with the recent war in Ukraine is a lot of the inputs for farming have become much more expensive. So if you give farmers the ability to buy cash by allowing them to monetize their crops, they can get double-digit discounts on, on their inputs, which makes the entire difference between profitable and unprofitable year. Um, and, and so we ultimately allow them to monetize their crops in the way they would monetize a future of, uh, of another of let's say cotton or grain and by doing so they can make the infrastructural or ultimately the supply or the purchase agreements they need to to become to farm more efficiently and that's our oldest business and our biggest business today but our other newer but also our fastest growing business is a marketplace and what we do there is that all all these four billion dollars of produce that we currently help farmers farm and bring to our marketplace we are also helping them find the off takers to ultimately buy that produce and the reason we're doing that is for the very same reason i mentioned earlier is produce pay can go and, and that we can ultimately understand and call it digitize a future crop of a farm up to 12 months ahead of their season and by doing that we don't just allow them to monetize it. We also bring that entire upcoming crop online, which means that we can allow off takers to bid against it, which which means that we can create a very certain future yield um, and allow off takers to bid against it as a way for them to ultimately allow the farmer to maximize who they sell it to, i.e. sell it to the best buyer, but also alternatively to make sure that he can 
know where the product is going. Because if you know where your product is going, then you have to avoid, you can avoid your product bouncing around all these middlemen that can ultimately drive to the amount of food waste that we mentioned earlier. So those are the two things that Produspay does, right? We we digitize, we monetize crops ahead of time and digitize them up to a year before harvest. And we allow off-takers to pre-bid against our product to ultimately shorten the transit time or the unknowns that exist that can ultimately drive food waste. Gotcha. So with that marketplace, is that kind of a kind of a free-for-all where people can pretty much bid on whatever? Or does it kind of allow off-takers and those growers to kind of build relationships to where maybe if they want to partner up and just sell their products to one off-taker, they can do that. So is it kind of a mix of both of those or just kind of one? The the, the industry is purely transparent. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is that like, you know who you're talking to before you sell your product. So, like, it's not like you sell it to somebody and then, like, oh, you sold it to, you know, to uh, John Doe in, you know, uh, in this part of America. No, it's like you immediately know who you're talking to and you immediately know um, what, what, what the trading terms are and you can negotiate directly. The reason why people do this stuff in the marketplace, even when they know when the off-takers are, are one, because they value transparency and trust, but also two, because ProducePay provides what we call trade protection or fulfillment, which means that we guarantee to both parties that they're ultimately going to get what they were promised they were going to get. And by doing so, we are changing the current landscape where you have to put your trust in a counterparty that is more often than not in another country than you are, which creates friction and creates uncertainty, which ultimately limits the trade from happening. And we're saying, no, you don't necessarily need to trust this counterparty. I mean, we'll tell you who they are and you can learn as much as you want about them. Like we give you that access even before you make the purchase, but we are giving you a stamp of guarantee within Produce Pay that will ultimately say, we will make sure that the order that you, that you looked for or that you were committed, you actually get. And by doing so, like we are making Produce Pay the ultimate de facto source of trust. And that is what what is compelling people to get to know each other, trade, but stay in the in the platform because like both the farmer and the buyer have both been assured and continuously proven that we can keep up the other party side of the deal. And we use that by ultimately having a very structured and very, you know, costly platform that we built over a lot of years that ultimately helps us understand who the best farmers are in the world. And like, that is really one of first base key strengths. Like we have a, I would say a best in class ability to understand and ultimately evaluate farmers and, and, and decide which farmers are properly able to bring product to the marketplace and which should actually not do so. Mm, okay, I gotcha. And I mean, one of your talking points that you have on your website is that this marketplace is really helping reduce kind of the, really the 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 distance your food travels. Like you know, if growers want to, they can find off mark or off sellers or off takers from somewhere locally, and you can help reduce how far that food's going to be transported. And of course, that kind of goes back to that whole food waste thing because your food's going to be shipped shorter, so it's going to last longer instead of having to be I don't know shipped like 2000 miles up the country or something. So that's huge. Yes, 100%. So uh, we this year earlier this year we, we launched um the first ever um decarbonization initiative in in the produce space. And a lot of where the carbon footprint 
of farming comes from is not just the farm itself, but also the logistics involved in transporting that product. So building efficiency and reducing the carbon footprint of these farmers as a mean for them to, again, for buyers to source more responsibly, but also for farmers to get access to carbon offset markets um, is to ultimately efficient, to create efficiency in, in, in the logistics behind it. So yes, like reducing the carbon footprint to do that, you absolutely need to shorten logistic routes between farmers. And again, the, the best way to do that is to make supply and demand known to each other in the most free market way possible, um, and then allowing traders to find themselves and to optimize how they source. So what have been kind of the the reactions from growers and even off-takers that have been using this marketplace? So, I mean, obviously, they're probably, it's changing their game, changing their business plan. So what has kind of been some success stories you have from this? Um, I think our success stories come, our biggest success stories have come from companies that have actually used the, the, the bundle suite of services. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the reason I say that is the following, is when a farmer is capital deprived, they're often pushed to make suboptimal commercial relationships, meaning that they meant to partner with the people that can pay them the faster or can give them some level of short-term bridge for their crop, um, which might not necessarily be the people that are closest to the end buyer. So when people, the people that have been using our products for the longest, ideally both products, tend to be farmers that have been able to integrate vertically by both create extending their own cell arms to the point where our oldest clients, most of them today, like most of the clients have been with us for four or more years, are now mostly selling directly to a retailer or wholesaler. And mm-hmm. that's how we ultimately gauge success, right? Because if 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 um if practice is traded between four to eight middlemen, um, and you can reduce that to two, then you know that that um, that you're getting more efficient to the farmer, and and ultimately a, a, a double way. One by reducing the ways that happens along the way, uh, which means he gets paid for more product, and two by by getting more of that end margin back to the farmer. So like that, that those are the biggest success stories that we've seen in the company in the company, and those are very recurring within within the clients that ultimately have trusted us um, with their product, which is a big ask of a farmer, right? To trust you with their livelihood, but have chosen to trust and that we have been able to preserve and to maintain that trust and gotten them to most to more optimally organize their funding structure and alternatively to um, to find the, 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 like to expose them to the clients that they could more optimally sell to thus improving their sales price. That's impressive. And kind of going off the sales price, we were talking earlier about how farmers can kind of monetize their crops through this. Um, what What's exactly setting the price of their crops? I mean, are they kind of going off a market value, what it might be by the time the crop is done? Like, what's kind of controlling the price of those crops whenever they're using this marketplace? The produce industry is mostly set by supply and demand, um, which I know sounds a little bit simplistic, but let me, let me go into a little more detail as to why that means. Because most produce is is exposed to weather but because most produce can be grown in different parts of the world in different times what mostly determines price is not just how your geographic region is doing but also how your competing geographic regions across the world are doing so when 
when there's a frost, for example, at a competing area, the farmers in the, in the other areas tend to be benefited. Where alternatively, when all your competing areas are having incredibly strong production years, price tends to be depreciated and it tends to affect the, the individual farmer, right? So what we do at Produce Base, we've actually built the single most used pricing index uh, in the United States. Um, and, and we've been able to do that by not just pulling um, the information from the $4 billion approach that we trade in the platform, but also from public sources like the USDA and other. But alternatively, what we do is we also give a lot of insight as to how weather events are happening across the world, specifically for the competing areas in the commodity you selected. So if you pick, I don't know, Let's do asparagus or avocado. It's simply because I'm like thinking with an A, right? Uh, I, <laughs> look go, at, yeah. I look at these. I look at these commodities every day, so I uh, I tend to start with the A uh, with le- A letter. So any of those commodities, if you click in our platform and you go into that site, you're not just going to see what the price is today. You're gonna they're gonna show you how weather is affecting the most predominant asparagus regions or avocado regions for that matter in the world. So if you know there's a lot of precipitation in three of the competing 10 areas, then odds are that that the price is going to increase in the next two weeks when the current inventory actually dries up, right? So like that's how why farmers come to our platform, but that's what ultimately affects price and demand, right? And, And we're trying to ultimately convey that. And the next big step for us in that, which is like one of our biggest launches of 2023 is, we're about to make a very bold move and start showing a price prediction as to where the price will move in the next week or two, which is unprecedented in this industry. It's also bold because we 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 are we are fully aware that people will trade based on this information. Um, but in, in our mind, again, it's like the only way to create efficiency in the industry is to promote as much trade ahead of time as possible so we we see it as a responsibility to give these insights to the industry that's really really handy and i mean i really don't know of any other um industry really where your end product your end i don't know how much you're actually going to profit is but controlled by so much whether that's just the supply and demand how current markets are or really even the weather i mean I know, I mean, you and I both know of like countless farmers where they're growing, like we were saying, asparagus or avocados or whatever, but then one bad growing season and they lose all of their crops. And so they're you know, not going to profit. You know, you know what they call farming? Uh, legalized gambling. Yeah, yeah, essentially. You can spend so much money on it and it's really gambling. You don't know if you're going to have bad weather, if you're going to have enough rain. I mean, there's just so many factors that go into it. And I mean, it's no wonder that you know, a lot of farms are going under and they're struggling so much and they're having to get subsidies and they're having to get just so much money because it's ever, ever changing. I mean, even stuff like you mentioned earlier, like the war in Ukraine. I mean, those farmers were literally having to farm and plant during a war. Like when tanks were literally driving through their field, they're still doing it. And there's so much that's controlling how much they're going to profit. And if, you know, they can even continue their livelihood. Yeah. um, Farmers are very are very um, commonly underappreciated. Um, it's only during times of crisis, like you know the recent pandemic or other things, where we really start understanding just how important the people that um, that make sure that we're fed, um, how important they are. But um, you're right, farmers, you know, they're often dismissed, they're often undermined. But I mean, it's thanks to farmers that ultimately we were able to survive a pandemic, right? And why we're able to 
you know, to survive the macroeconomic changes that, that the war is bringing today. So 100%. But to your point, that's also why we have a responsibility to make sure that farming can be done profitably. Because like, we can't ask farmers to farm and take all this risk without having at least some level of like protection or protected returns um, and just keep doing it every year, right? Like it's our responsibility, even for a purely selfish interest to preserve and to optimize the market dynamics and the protection, call it the, the, the trade assurance and the call it the, the contracts that ultimately will make sure that these farmers can make money every year. So they're there next year and we can make sure that we can eat. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, before I forget about it, let me ask you. Um, so consumers hear about technology like this and they're probably like, wait, this is a thing. And so what exactly can consumers gain whenever there is technology like this? Like what can they gain specifically from things like produce pay? There's ultimately, I would say there's there's two things that I think consumers care about. Well, there's many things that you care about, but I think there's two things that come to mind immediately. One of them is proper farming practices. Not, mm-hmm. I love the farming community, but like everything, there's always good actors. And there's always people that cut corners. With a more transparent supply system, you don't just get, you don't just eliminate middlemen. You also get perfect visibility into the farmers that are growing the product that you do. And when you have auditing capabilities like we do, then the farmer, when the farmer is exposed to the consumer, not only does he get more pricing, but he also gets a responsibility that that the farm the consumers will see what he's doing. So, and then uh, and then the other aspect that we have, which is a similar part of that, but it, it's one of the, it's one of, it's the following is America's biggest health issue is the lack of healthy foods mm-hmm. available to people. Mm-hmm. At the dawn of the 21st century, so we're talking 20 years ago, 22 years ago, even still the ability to eat healthy foods like fresh fruits and vegetables was still considered to be something that was very hard for people of low income uh, families to do. And what I mean by that is that it's way cheaper to buy a Big Mac than it is to buy a salad, sadly, at least a good healthy salad. So as you create the systems to allow farming to be done optimally, whether it's local farming, whether it's investing resources in, in the place that can do it at the best pricing, you're also allowing farming to become more competitive, which means that you're not making healthy foods and vegetables something that's exclusive to those that can afford to have a 10 or 15 or 20% hike in their grocery bill, right? You're really making it to the point where buying or, or putting together a salad can be just as affordable as put, buying any kind of lunch. And that's a huge, a huge, huge win for consumers because when we can make healthy foods accessible, especially with the new varieties that bring a lot of taste and a lot of like shelf life, then ultimately you're allowing um, for us to really combat what is the world's biggest health uh, issue today. Yeah, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. I had no clue about how some communities have something called food deserts. You know, I, I always just kind of assumed that I was in different countries. But then the more you look at it here in the United States in lower communities where poorer communities, you look at it and you drive through and you're like, wait a minute, like, I don't know where the nearest grocery store is. And I mean, those are food deserts where people don't have access to fresh food. I mean, they might have fast food, but of course, that's going to be cheaper, but not nearly as healthy as um, fresh produce. And so it's so it's great that companies like this, like like you guys produce pay, um, you're going to help dramatically change 
the availability of some produce for consumers. And then hopefully, you know, diets can continually to change and improve, you know, when we have less food wasted, more food going to grocery stores, more, more food going to where it needs to go. So it's great to hear that technology like this can really not only change the market for farmers, but also change diets and commodities for consumers as well. Yeah, I, I think we're on the right path. I think um, at least, you know, since the last like four, like two or three administrations, um, people like health, health trends have been on the rise. Uh, so people want to eat healthier and they have began voting with their wallets to do so, which has propelled or call it empowered or invigorated farmers mm. to ultimately double down on farming, whereas historically they would have said, you know, maybe that's not where I want to stay, right? So I think we're on the right path. But but again, and like we mentioned earlier, a lot of these effort will will be for naught or will go to waste at least if uh, if we can't also fix the distribution channels. Because to your point is, what's the point in having cheap produce if you can't make it available to like the marginalized communities in the world, right? Like you have to be able to just get the produce to the right people and, and like at affordable prices and like, that, that's a big challenge. And that that is what will dictate um, the future of the produce industry, honestly, for all the 21st century, in my personal opinion. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's a it's one thing to get, I don't know, avocados to the right people that need, you know, healthy fats, healthy, healthy carbs, a healthy diet. But if it's super duper expensive, they're not going to afford it. And so it, you've got to get them both healthy produce and a healthy cost. Um, to where they can see, you know what, this is a better idea than buying something that's processed and cheap. So there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of challenges facing both consumers, marketers, farmers, a lot of it when it comes to food like that. And so kind of going off of that, I guess, what really is kind of going to be the future for produce pay? Like, what's the future going to be like? Obviously, continue to grow, get more farmers and off takers um, involved in this. So what's the future going to look like for you guys? Um, well, I mean, we, we have an ambitious, but I think the, 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 a right milestone for us. Like we, we want to be the largest produce trader in the world um, straight up while helping the industry transition uh, to a more sustain, sustainable and digital path. And obviously, the former part of that statement is directly tied to the latter. Like if we can't create a digital sustainable path of growth, we won't become the largest produce traders in the world. So like that, that is our goal. Um, but we also believe that the ag industry is ready to be digitized with a with a human touch, and 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 that's very important, right? Like, do we think this industry can be digitized to the point where you can order with one touch? Yes, but do we believe that we have to eliminate the human touch out of this industry? Absolutely not, right? So our business ultimately our business model allows us to to do this to to bring transparency, sustainability, and technology while ultimately keeping the strong like farmer oriented side or the human touch where people feel proud of knowing where their food comes from. Um, and ultimately that's our goal. And, and, and the biggest metric of success will be our ability to reduce food waste um, across the continent. And like, that's how we're measuring ourselves and our ability to ultimately go down along this path. Yeah. Maybe the next time we chat in a couple of years or something, maybe that um, 52% markup will be down to, I don't know, 42%, 32%, mainly because of companies like you guys that are really helping Farmers supply great produce to consumers and doing it in a lot quicker and I guess also a lot more efficient manner, man, uh, a lot more efficient manner than in years past. Thank you, man. And, and yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the dream. And, and, and um, 
and you can bet your bottom dollar that we're gonna we're gonna give it everything we got to achieve that. Well, that's perfect. So if people want to learn more about produce pay, maybe they're a farmer and they want to get involved with you, or maybe they are a processor or a distributor. They want to work with you as well. Where can they go to kind of learn more and even sign up with you guys? Yeah. So um, our website is producepay.com. Uh, you can also just Google produce pay and you'll find us. Um, you know, we, we have offices in the United States uh, primarily, but also Latin America, like Mexico, Peru, Colombia. Um, and yeah, and you know, you can also shoot me an email. My email is pablo.producepay.com. And especially if you're a farmer, I, I always love to hear from farmers all across the world. So don't be afraid to send me an email. I'm never too busy to, to talk to farmers. And again, like I pride myself in staying connected to the farming industry. So I see it as my responsibility uh, to stay in touch with farmers. So either come to our website, shoot me an email, but um, you know, there's a lot of information on our website as to how we can sign up and how we can potentially help you uh, improve your farming, your yields, or your ultimately uh, the buyers you want to access. Well, perfect. Well, Pablo, thanks so much. It was great meeting you. Great chatting with you. Best of luck with Produce Pay. I think what you guys are doing are awesome, and we can't wait to kind of follow your story. Thank you, Trevor. Um, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you for the time. Take care. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Farm Traveler. If you want to, check out the links below in the description for everything produce pay and, of course, for everything Farm Traveler related. If you are new here, consider subscribing. If you are an old-time listener, thank you so much for listening. Consider sharing with a friend or family member. You know how that helps us out a ton. So... Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.